Good evening, guys. Hi, my name is Graham Cowgill. I'm the student ministries pastor here. Um, before we get started, can we pray? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity just to gather together, to enjoy each other's company. Um, yeah, specific requests maybe tonight. Father, would you just allow each one of us to leave here tonight with a very specific word or a very specific idea that you want to speak to us, uniquely to us. Um, we are available to hear what you speak clearly. We trust you, we love you. In your name, amen. 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 Uh, so we're in this series, great series, and it's called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. My uh, three-year-old, his name's Gage, and he has just enough of a grasp on the English language to make everybody around him thoroughly uncomfortable, like those are the only words he's figured out. So I figured that we'd start out tonight with a little edition of Things I Wish Gage Never Said. <laughs> these are very true, unfortunately, and both of these happened in the past week. Number one, we are walking down Main Street this past week, Gage and I are, and uh, you know that gelato place that's downtown, like by Wahoos? So we're walking by, and there are these two ladies in their 30s, uh, and they've got gelato, getting down on some gelato, just hanging out outside the place. And we walk by, and Gage decides to loudly exclaim, look, Dad, two old people eating ice cream. <laughs> I was like, so there's just a flurry of activity, mainly me trying to turn my Mariner shirt inside out, you know? <laughs> Like, okay. And then the ladies probably trying to reapply foundation or whatever, just reachieve their youth. I was like, we'll never be friends. Thanks a lot, Gage. All right, next one is one short little simple phrase that is able to strike the fear into the heart of whoever hears it. We were in the living room the other day, and Gage walks in and says, um, I pooped. I was like, sweet. So I walk into the bathroom, and sure enough, nothing in the toilet. Ew, that starts about a 30-minute, just toucan Sam, follow your nose expedition to find this. And it's the worst. You have no idea where. It, it could be anywhere, right? You can't trust a single step. You can't just sit down anywhere. Like, it could be anywhere in the house. You can't just throw bread in the toaster. You don't know where it is, you know? Oh, man, it was awful. And that took a while to find it. It was on the patio eventually, by the way. I never said that the first three services. That was the only feedback I got on the message. Everyone's like, did you find it or not? <laughs> we found it. It was on the patio. Uh, now, hopefully not for that reason, really hopefully, but I'm sure everybody's had that feeling of anxiety where you just know something bad's going to happen, right? Like maybe you've been sitting in the dentist chair and he hasn't struck a nerve yet, but you know it's coming. Um, I'm betting that since Easter... And in this series, that there are probably some people in here uh, that this is your experience with church, right? That you come in and you're just like, I know what's going to happen. I know that tall, goofy guy is going to say something weird. They always do. That's what churches are known for, saying something weird. I know what's going to happen. And you're just anxious the whole time. Or maybe you have decided to try this life with Jesus, and you've been going for a little bit, and, and you're just like, don't screw this up, Graham. Please, please don't say anything weird. Please. Like when you're trying to follow a politician, you know, trying to rally behind a politician, and they say something crazy, and you're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Like, I'm trying to like you. 
I am trying to follow you. Stop making this so difficult, right? Or maybe uh, you have been following Jesus for a long time, and you're the person tonight who's brought somebody. And your anxiety is like, I know there's going to be something that I got to defend on the car ride home, right? Now there's going to be something I got to make up an excuse for. Um, The good news is, is that behind every verse, deeper than every misinterpretation, deeper than every weird person, uh, is a God. A God whose definition is love. A God whose desire, more than anything else, is just to connect with you, to be close to you, right? Man, Christians are imperfect. Churches are imperfect because people are imperfect. But God is perfect. God is love. Actually, our, our goal here at church, like our desire, is to eliminate as many distractions as possible so that you can encounter who God really is. That's our goal. And so tonight, I would encourage you, let your guard down just in this time. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Release your grip from the dentist chair a little bit. And just be open to maybe what God would be speaking to you specifically here tonight. Um, Our verse tonight is a little context first. Um, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. His disciples are like his closest boys. And the disciples are having this argument over which one of them is going to be considered the greatest. This is a recurring theme with these guys. And Jesus speaks to them. He says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that's the verse we're talking about today. It doesn't seem controversial, but just trust me, we all wrestle with this every day. That idea of becoming like a child, what does it mean like? Become like children, become like a child. What does that mean? I have little children. There are aspects that I absolutely do not want to be like. Right? And I work with junior hires and high schoolers every single day. And I am constantly encouraging them to grow up and to mature. Right? Plus, there's another verse that almost seems to contradict this. 1 Corinthians 13.11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So what the heck, right? What gives here? What's the balance? I think there's a stark difference in what these two verses are talking about, and that's the goal for tonight, is for us to just separate that in our minds. Um, So today we're going to try to attempt to break down the difference between childish and childlike. Childish and childlike, two very different concepts. One, God wants us to grow out of, And the other, God wants us to grow in. Childish and childlike. So first, we're going to start off with childish. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I was trying to think of some negative things that are associated with childhood that we need to grow out of. And it was, that was tough. Off the top of my head, I could only think of about 748 things. (laughs) 
but I narrowed it down. We got two things we're going to talk about tonight that I think still show up in our lives, childish things that we may not even realize still show up. Um, the two things we're going to talk about tonight for childish are tantrums and not taking responsibility. Tantrums and not taking responsibility. We're going to start with tantrums. What are tantrums? Why do they exist? How do they still show up? Uh, first, a little, little brain lesson, a little tour through the human brain. Right behind our eyebrows, there's like a gray blob, and it's called the prefrontal cortex. The old prefrontal cortex is responsible for regulating emotion. It's also responsible for controlling social behavior. And it is the part of the brain that develops last. So actually what tantrums are, the reason that tantrums exist, is when people are unable or unwilling to deal with complex emotions, and so they respond with control, with a controlling agent. Right? When a child throws a tantrum, he throws a tantrum to, tantrum to control the amount of attention that is given him. When he throws a tantrum, he finds himself in a confusing situation emotionally, and he wants to control the way that he feels. Or a child throws a tantrum because he wants to escape consequences, right? Maybe if I flop around on the ground, mom will forget why she was punishing me, that type of thing. We as adults, we also throw tantrums, and turns out for very similar reasons. When we are unwilling to deal with complex emotions, empathy, vulnerability, when we're unwilling to deal with those, then we respond with control or with escape. That's what tantrums are. Rage is an adult tantrum that's used to control. Escape through alcohol or drugs, it's used to avoid dealing with complex emotions. Overeating, it's an escape. It's a feeling that you know, even if it's harmful, that you're comfortable with. Spending addictions. Even obsession with image. Obsession with image is con essentially controlling the amount of attention that is given you. Right? And if you're in here like, oh, he's got me. We all have this. This is not just you. Every one of us has a tantrum that, that manifests in our life. Every one of us has something that we gravitate towards. And here's why it's important. Because once we find our tantrum tendency, when that tantrum starts to flare up in our life, the reason it, it flares is because we are trying to ward off access to emotions in our lives that are uncomfortable or unfamiliar. You know that we have entire sectors of our lives that are unused, potential sectors of our lives that are untapped because we are unwilling to deal with uncomfortable emotion. A big part of growing up, a big part of maturing, stepping into being the man or woman that God has designed you to be is being willing to deal with emotions that are uncomfortable so that we can tap into the potential that God has designed us with. Number two, not taking responsibility. Uh, taking responsibility pretty much is acknowledging and accepting the choices that you've made, the things that you've done, and what results because of it, right? Uh, taking responsibility is so incredibly necessary for trust. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody who doesn't ever take responsibility for their actions, you know how frustrating that is. There is no symmetry 
in that relationship. There is no give or take in that relationship. And I wanted to use this, not taking responsibility, because we live in a city, Huntington Beach is, I believe, a very youth-driven culture. You know, if we look around, and that means more than just there are a lot of kids. Uh, Our culture, there are some very good things that come with that. It is absolutely not all bad. But there is a piece of our culture, the beach culture, um, the surf culture, that has a, it's almost like a resistance to growing up. It's a resistance to maturing, uh, to taking responsibility. And it's because this is what we know. Stepping into manhood, stepping into womanhood, it's the unknown. I don't know what comes with that territory. I know this, and even if this is harmful for me, I would rather stay here than face the consequences of my actions, step into being a man. Um, We see this, the default childish reaction all through Scripture. Peter is one of those disciples, one of the boys I was talking about earlier. And there's actually a moment where this girl confronts Peter and says, aren't you with Jesus? And he's afraid of the consequences if he says yes. And so he's like, nope. And she's like, I think you're with Jesus. He's like, nope. She's like, I'm pretty sure. He's like, no. Like three times in a row, his default reaction is childish because he refuses to grow up and face the consequences of his actions. And we all do this. I'm working with youth every single day. And actually, I say this phrase hundreds of times. I think it's very important. Maybe you've used it, maybe you've said it. Uh, Anybody ever heard the phrase, man up, right? Got to man up, or put on your big girl pants, whatever. I say that all the time because I think it's incredibly important. I think that a very important part of growing up, of maturing, uh, is facing the consequences of your actions. That is a very necessary part of growing up. Um, And it's important to face the consequence for your actions, but I think this is even more important. In our house, whenever Gage, my three-year-old, whenever he screws up, which is often, uh, we have a process that he goes through that I believe is, is very, very important. Um, so let's say he hits somebody, okay? And uh, he has a preconceived consequence that he goes and he adheres to. And then when he's done, let's say it's a timeout, when he's done with the consequence, he comes back and he goes to that person and he apologizes and that's important, but this next step is what I believe is, is very important. Um, it's beyond ask, uh, apologizing, and we have them ask for that person's forgiveness. Ask for their forgiveness. Here's why I believe that's important. When you apologize, the ball's in your court, right? When you ask somebody for forgiveness, you're allowing somebody else to be involved in the process of separating your identity and your actions. Think about how important that is. There might not be anything more important. Separating your identity and your actions. You are not the bad choices that you've made. There are consequences. That does not change your identity. That does not change who you are. And then, um, every time Gage, after he's asked for forgiveness, Kristen sets him down, looks in his eyes and says, You are a beautiful child of God. I love you. This does not change who you are. Maybe, maybe, there's somebody here tonight that needs to hear that. That you are a beautiful child of God. That you are not your bad choices. 
though there are consequences, it does not change how much you're loved. It does not change who, the, who you are. It's a very important message. All right, so that is childish, okay? Break, intermission, now we're going to go childlike. Now we get to the fun stuff. So for childlike, here's our goal. Tonight we are going to try to transport ourselves back to when we were children. I realize that's harder for some than others. That's okay. We're going to try to go to that place. Um, so if you're having trouble thinking back to your childhood, maybe there's a resistance because this was your childhood. First picture. All right, so this is cute, Graham, right? This is uh, World is Your Oyster, Graham. Next. Still cute. Starting to get a little weird. I'm sure that's like size 12 shoe there. Okay, that's okay. Next picture. This is where things take a rough turn for me personally. And, uh, you know, I, I believe you got more than four teeth. You're just showing off anyway, really. Next picture. Try not to ask too many questions about this time in my life. Next picture. All right, so this is my If this... If you go home from school and you got chafed nipples from your waistband, like things are not looking up for you, right? That's just, I'm already having a hard time making friends, mom. Like maybe not knock it off with maternity clothes. That's okay. So, all right, take that off. Nobody wants to see that anymore. Maybe that's your childhood. I want you to, to take yourself back to that time when you were a child. Think back. Think back to free. Think back to summer vacations. Think back to recess. Think back to your first crush. Think back to how you were as a kid. Because we have things that we loved as children that we embodied as we felt free as kids. Uh, here's your homework for tonight, by the way. Uh, your homework is, on the ride home, I want you, if you came with somebody, have this conversation in the car. If you came by yourself, just think to yourself. I want you to think back to what you were like as a kid. I want you to talk about, what were you like as a kid? What were the positive traits about you as a kid? Let's keep it positive, right? <laughs> what, were the, what were the positive traits about you as a kid? I think it's, man, that's, that's a fun combo. Have that conversation. I thought of some for me. I was trusting. I liked hugs. I liked to climb trees. I looked up to my brother, even though he's younger. I liked show tunes. Still like show tunes, and that's, that's okay, don't judge me. Uh, I think one of God's biggest desires is for us to understand that uh, he created us, he designed us with intrinsic, unique, specific components that are individual to us, and those things a lot of times only show up dependent on the amount of freedom that we experience, right? Sometimes they don't show up, and it's a good indicator that we are not operating, we are not living out of freedom. So we need to reminisce back to a time that we were free to find out those things that God created in us. Um, some of us, actually, we have gifts that do show up every day, and we don't even realize it. One of my heroes is C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis has a quote, and he says, both good and evil increase at compound interest. Both good and evil increase at compound interest. I think it's a brilliant quote. I absolutely agree with it. There's nothing that just plateaus. It stays the same. You set a course, you set a direction for the things that you embody, and they typically stay on that course. So there are positive things that you've been designed with 
that you are actually using the way that God has desired. And those things are drawing you closer to people and closer to God, and it's a positive thing in your life. But there are also things in your life that you've been designed with that you have used in a selfish fashion. Right? We all have done it. We were designed with something, but we've used it for us in a self-focused way. And it continues down on this path, this downward slant. And instead of being something positive in our life, it has actually been an instrument of pain and isolation in our lives. Here's why that's important. We have an opportunity when we interact with people and when we monitor ourselves to pick out characteristics that manifest in our lives, positive and negative. Your behaviors, your characteristics, wherever you would put it on the spectrum, we have the opportunity to trace all of those back and determine the purest form that God created them in our lives. What an awesome opportunity for you to talk to somebody and instead of dismissing the negative parts, to see how, if you trace that back, how has God designed something pure and beautiful inside of that person? Positive or negative traits, you, you have the opportunity in yourself and in other people to call out the way that God has uniquely gifted people. And the goal, right, this is the goal, is to find that baseline gift, to find the purest form that God has created inside of us before we were lied to, before we were tainted, what that looks like, and find, find that. Encourage and affirm that. Because even the positive manifestations, like for me, I like to climb trees, right? I don't climb trees anymore because I'm bigger than most trees now. <laughs> But I love adventure, you know? I love puzzles. I love figuring new things out. So I think that it's an awesome opportunity for us that we, when we talk to people, we take this as a challenge to find through their behavior and characteristics, how can I affirm that God has beautifully created that person? Now, here are two uh, traits for childlike. Um, first one is dependence. Dependence is a beautiful childlike trait. I'm going to tell you how independence subtly snuck into my life. Um, I used to play sports. I still play sports, but not like I used to. It used to be a huge part of my life. And I don't know where I heard this, but uh, I fell into this rhythm. Maybe somebody here uh, can relate to this. Um, I decided that my motive to playing sports was going to be for God. That when I swam, I wanted it to be for God. And I would practice as hard as I possibly could, hit the wall, do one of these, you know. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Repping you down here. Or basketball, right? You've seen sh shoot a shot, and then it's, it's a finger. And so it's playing for God. Um, and that filters over into other areas of life. Maybe, maybe your story is achieving academic excellence. <laughs> Not my personal story. <laughs> maybe that's yours. <laughs> And you achieve academic excellence. You do as well as you can. You say, I'm going to do this for God. Why are you doing this? Why are you studying so hard? I'm doing it for God. For me, personally, it even um, filtered over into my behavior. That I would say, uh, yeah, in high school, I remember saying, no, nah, I'm not going to drink. And that's for God. I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. And why not? That's for God. And I would say this whole thing in my life turned to being for God and to be totally honest, I think I missed it. 
I think I missed it. I, I think I missed what God really desired. And here's the difference. Here's the paradigm shift for me. Um, instead of me living for God, my desire was now to live with God. It's a very, very big difference. For God is separated. For God is independent. For God is I'm going to do as well as I possibly can by myself. I'll check in every once in a while for a progress report, but this is about how well I can do it. With God is together. With God is a dependence on him. With God is needing him to be there every step of the way, trusting that he's there every step of the way. Uh, There's a story in the Old Testament about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and pretty much these three guys who are following God, um, they're approaching, they said, you renounce your faith, you renounce your God, or you're going to be thrown into this furnace, you're going to be burned. They're like, nope, not doing it. They're like, all right. So they throw them into the furnace, and actually, uh, they go and they look in there, and they say that these three men are in there in the furnace, and they are not being burned, and that there's a fourth person in the furnace, and that it's God there with them. A dependence on walking with God, a dependence on the presence of God. Um, Me personally, my favorite thing in life is holding my son's hand. Uh, I don't know why, that's just, I, I love it. His little hand in mine, I could do that all day. And the other day, we were watching Kung Fu Panda, and there's a uh, scary part, and he comes over and he goes, can I hold you? And I was like, oh man, forever, dude. You know, forever, buddy, like forever. Um, we have a loving father who desires more than anything to be with you, who desires more than anything to hold your hand to embrace you. Part of the opportunity of being childlike is to forfeit this need for independence, become a child again in the presence of our Father, to enjoy sitting on his lap, to enjoy trusting that God is who he says that he is, trusting that he is God and we are not. The second childlike trait we're looking at tonight is faith. Faith. Luke 18, 17. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. I want to say something tonight that I think, I hope, will set us at ease a little bit. For some of us, actually, it'll probably make us more tense. But regardless, it will change things for us. Here's the phrase. Uh, We're not going to understand everything. We're not going to understand everything, right? There are things that Jesus said that have been horribly misconstrued. And through this series, I think we're going to bring a lot of clarity to those things. But there are things that happen here on earth. There are parts of God that we're never going to understand. And that is more than okay. That is a very good thing. I think that the cart before the horse aspect a lot of times is that... uh, Sometimes we wait to understand before we're willing to believe. And that's the opposite of faith. I heard a message this past week, and the pastor was talking about how you maintain that childlike wonder. Remember a couple weeks ago, Caleb was saying, wow, before how? And this pastor was talking about that. How do you keep that childlike 
wonder. And what he was saying is that as your knowledge of the Bible increases, as your grasp on what God has desires for your life increases, so must the mystery of God. Because if it doesn't, then it's no longer called our faith. It's called our understanding. The sense of mystery with God has got to increase incrementally. Personally, I don't want to worship a God that I have all figured out. I don't want to worship a God that I'm bigger than. There are parts of being a child, beautiful parts of being a child, where we have a faith that God is big, that God is good, that there are things that we don't understand, but that God is working on our behalf, that he loves us, his children, that he hates to see us in pain. He will do anything possible to bring us to himself. Uh, If you're here tonight, maybe, You've been waiting to kind of make a move until you understand everything. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to be waiting forever because there is a step of faith that is required, a move towards this that says, even though I don't understand everything, I'm willing to make a move. I'm willing to trust in some capacity that God is who he says he is. Um, Hebrews 11.6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It is a good thing to seek him. You find truth when you pursue it. God desires that from you. And when you have faith, we have to trust that if God is who he says he is, that adds a level, a level of freedom to our life that we wouldn't experience otherwise. I'm watching my son Gage right now. I've been talking about him all day. I might as well keep going. And uh, the other day, my son, Gage, just operates in freedom right now at age three. The other day, we had somebody over at the house that uh, he didn't know, and he's just all into this one music video. He watches it like four million times a day, and he's watching this music video. He's not paying attention to anybody, but I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye, and he's watching it, and he just goes, he's watching it, and he goes, I want to dance. Doffs the pants, busts out a little naked dance. I was like, it was awesome. It will not be as cute when he's 16, but it was awesome at the time. And I just remember thinking, like, yeah, he just operated on a level of freedom that I don't even understand. Like, I don't, I don't even comprehend that level of freedom. <laughs> and I'm not saying go to work on Monday and take your pants off. You will get a far different reaction. But I am saying that we have the opportunity, like Gage did, that it can manifest, it can show up in our life, a way to live without shame. We do have an opportunity to live an uninhibited life. Me as a father, right now I am so incredibly hypersensitive to any words or advice that are lies that would come against Gage living in freedom right now. I mean, like, I am acutely attuned to that. I am hypersensitive. Man, if somebody was to say something to Gage, like a body image comment, and he would live in less freedom, or if somebody was to say, you're stupid, you're you're not smart, and he was to live in less freedom, it would absolutely crush me. Not just because I desire my son to live the way that God has designed him to live, but also, 
little selfishly, I have a living, breathing, moving example in my house of what it looks like to respond to this world in freedom. Man, I want to keep that kid pure. I want to keep that kid untainted as long as possible. I, there's another story in scripture where Jesus is teaching and these kids kind of bum rush the stage, right? And they're just uh, hanging out and the disciples are like, should we get these kids out of here? And he goes, not only should you not get these kids out of here, you need to learn from them. We are so consumed sometimes as adults with teaching kids that we fail to realize that we have the opportunity to learn from children, to learn what it looks like to operate in freedom. I believe that we can be a church, we can be people that light gauge people look to and say there's a level of freedom there that I've never experienced. That we can be the people that embody no shame. That we can connect with the pure gifts that God has given us that are specific to us. That we can become children of God, embraced by our Father, dependent on him. Picture in your mind, picture your, your positive childhood traits. Picture yourself as a child. You remember that wonder? You remember, remember what it was like when you didn't have a handle on the world? Maybe you went to Disney World and it was just bigger than life. You were just in the moment when you felt free. You ever been embraced in just such a way that you just never wanted to be let go? I want to read this first verse one more time over us. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you. We trust that you are who you say you are. that you desire freedom for our lives, that you desire peace for our lives. Lord, we want to put childish things aside. We do want to mature and grow up, but we want to do everything we can. We want to fight as hard as we can to remain a child in your presence. Would you increase the wonder in our lives? Would you increase the dependence in our lives that we are not performing for you, but we are living with you, holding your hand every step of the way. Even though we don't understand everything that happens, Lord, we know that you're good. We know that you are a good father. We are so incredibly thankful to be adopted into your family, to be called children of the King. In your name, amen.